wonkers inseparable from the peasants, but I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. So, hello and welcome back to the show. Um, let's start today's show with uh, sort of some movie news and movie gossip, really. Of course, we're coming to the end of the year, so it's that whole talk of which are the oh, big yeah. movies of the year. Well, Barbie and Oppenheimer have to be the two big movies of this year, surely. They, they are. Do you know what? Interesting statistic for you. It's the random nonsense thing I discovered recently. Um, this is the first year in a long time, that the top three highest grossing movies of the year so far, because there's, there's, I'm sure Aquaman could prove me wrong and, and be the highest grossing <laughs> movie. I'm sure. Um, but so far, the top three highest grossing movies of the year are, uh, are actually not sequels or remakes. Do you know when the last year was that that happened? Ooh, was it a Saw movie? Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously it would have to be the first one, wouldn't it? Because otherwise they're sequels. Um, No, the the last year, the very last year in which the top three grossing films were not sequels or remakes was more recent than you'd think. It was in 2001. And all three of those movies are huge, like, you know, pop culture legacy movies. Do you want to take a stab at what the top three highest grossing movies of 2001 were? 2001, blimey, that's a real mission. I'm trying to think what came out in 2001. Um, They all got sequels. If it helps, they all got sequels. Fast and Furious? No, it was... Oh, yeah, actually, that was that year, and it did get sequels. It wasn't in the top three, though. I wish it was. Oh, God. Well, exactly, that would be the first that came to mind. Go on, spill the beans, then. I have no idea. So... Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Ah, of course. That was, that was the first. Um, which, I, well, I'm, I'm not a Tolkien guy, and weirdly I found myself there on the very first day at the very first screening of that because I had a job interview next to the cinema that morning. And I was like, coming home, and I was like, ah, I'll stop and see a movie while I'm here. And it's all Lord of the Rings. Full of nerds. Full of Tolkien nerds. Ooh. Harry Potter has to be another one. It was Harry Potter yes. and, the, and the Sorcerer's Stone. That was the Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone, Potato Potato. That was another one. And the third one, if I say Pixar to you, will that help you? Oh, 2001, Pixar. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, Up. No, that was 2008. Oh, 2009 for Up. No, oh, it, okay. was, it was Monsters, Inc., Oh, of course. I forgot. That's cool. Was that 2001? Jesus. 2001, yeah. That's crazy. And now has a TV series spin-off. It had a sequel, prequel thing as well. So Monsters, Inc. not going. So yeah, so, uh, you know, top three grossing movies of the year. But of course, this year, we've got Barbie in there. And talk has turned, of course, to what's next? Do we get get more Barbie? And jury's out on that one. There's, you know, there's rumours we might get a Ken movie, which... I'd be up for, you know, have Ken as the lead and Barbie as the the love interest in that one, by all means. But more importantly, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling are going to re-team and sooner rather than later. This was rumoured before the strike and didn't quite get confirmed. Obviously, the strike's over now, so this has now been confirmed. So the director of the Austin Powers trilogy, Jay Roach, uh, I think he directed the Meet the Parents uh, series as well, is going to direct a movie starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling set in the 1962 Monaco Grand Prix. It's going to be a con artist heist thriller with Hitchcockian influences, like uh, Notorious, for instance. And they are going to play the parents 
of Daniel and Debbie Ocean. The movie is called Oceans, and it's a prequel to the Oceans 11 series. They are going to be the parents of George Clooney and Sandra Bullock in a 1960s Oceans movie. Apparently, they're going to be kids in the movie. The, 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 The future Oceans will be children learning from the parents, which... How old does that have to make Sandra Bullock? Because, like, I, I don't oh. see Sandra... Was Sandra Bullock even alive in six... I believe Clooney was alive in six... I believe Clooney was alive in six... I would buy that. But not not Sandy B. Not, not Sandy B. <laughs> she only looks about 40. I know she. I know she's older than she looks because she's she's an ageless goddess. Is, is Sandy B? But uh, I refuse to believe Sandra Bullock was alive in 1962, let alone old enough to learn con artist lessons. But you heard it here first. Oceans, it's happening. Look forward to that. It, it, it's coming. I'm looking. I'm really so excited about that. I've got a vote for worst movie of the year, and that would be the one that I spoke to you about last week that I went to see on uh, on a date, which was Dream Scenario, Nicolas Cage, new one. Oh, that's got to be the worst one of the year, or one of them. But, I mean, I'd argue the date worked out for you, but but the movie less so. It did. Um, so, so, of course, Dream Scenario, the whole thing with Dream Scenario is it's an A24 movie. An A24, you know, the art house babies of this past decade. And uh, they've signed a deal that uh, it, it's... I mean, great for them, money-wise, I'm sure. Less so for us in the UK, because A24 tend to release their movies way in advance in the US, and it turns out now they're going to direct to streaming very shortly afterwards with HBO Max, with Warner Brothers, which means, in this particular case, uh, we're recording this on the 7th of December, Uh, next Friday, on the 15th, uh, they will drop Priscilla, for instance, the new uh, Sofia Coppola movie about Priscilla Presley. Yes! Onto streaming. It's not out in the UK for a while. So, evidently, thoughts of piracy, for instance, have not entered the equation. And this is where Warner Brothers historically have had an issue in the past few years because they tried doing this in 2021. In, in, yeah, it was 2021 when they sent all of their movies like The Sopranos prequel and Godzilla vs. Kong and Mortal Kombat all to streaming on the same day as theatrical. This is not that bad, but it's almost. So, a bit pig-headed from, uh, from A24, I think. But, uh, you know, bring it to a wider audience, I suppose. I don't really complain, but... It is. It's going to screw them for money. I think, I think box office-wise, this is going to hurt them. Yeah, and you'd think they'd have learned their lessons the first time round. to be fair. That's what I was going to ask you about. Um, I have read a few things this week about the new Bob Marley uh, movie, which is coming out next year, I believe. I don't know if you know anything about it or not, but it intrigues actually me, actually. Don't. I actually don't. Although his name did come up uh, about two or three years ago when we we went through a really heavy craze of musical biopics. You know when we wound up with the double header of Bohemian Rhapsody and Elton John uh, and Rocket yeah. Man? I forget them. Like, I can never remember the name Rocket Man. It's like his best song, and I can never remember the name of that movie. Um, his name did Bob Marley did come up very quickly. Um, is there something Summers involved with memory service? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that I did read but his I know son's involved. The bone of contention with doing a Marley biopic has always been the music rights, and they have this issue with Bowie as well. It's always been a case of they struggle with the music rights because it's getting the family to sign off. And they're not generally going to sign off on anything that they don't think, you know, paints too good a picture, you know, uh, paint, unless it paints too good a picture. Um, yeah. Because we've got, we've got, apparently we've got a George Michael one coming as well. 
uh, with Theo James from the Divergent series. You know, the, the, the guy who gets poop on his nose in the Inbetweeners sequel. Oh. <laughs> you know him? Yeah, I know, yeah, I know. Per- perfume ad boy. Him. Yeah. <laughs> Can't act for Toffee, but he looks nice in a boss suit. You know what I mean? Yeah, him. He's going to be George <laughs> Michael, apparently. Which ruins my idea that it should always have been, uh, what, what do you call him? Uh, a, a Dominic Cooper. I would have always have gotten Dominic Cooper to be uh, to be George. He's a bit old now, but he would have been my, my George Michael for a See, uh, the one that stands out that you were just talking about then was Elton John's Rocket Man. And the point I want to make right now is I feel that these biopics that, that all seem to be done very well, they should always be posthumous, I think. I, I just don't think it works if the artist that it's about is still alive. You see, the interesting thing there is, you know, to, to quote another movie, Freddy's dead, but Bohemian Rhapsody is not as good a movie as Rocket Man. And yet Elton John's Alive is very active in the production, or was very active in the production of Rocket Man. And I think he more or less told them, don't go easy on me. And I mean, Elton John was so active in Rocket Man that he actually meddled with the casting because originally that was Tom Hardy. And but the, the thing was that when it was Tom Hardy, they were going to have to get someone else to sing because Tom Hardy yeah. apparently can't carry a tune. Uh, that's actually the, the, the description they used. They actually said he can't carry a tune. And then Elton John had done the Kingsman sequel and because they had just bowed to his every whim and allowed him to absolutely ruin the movie and be completely unfunny and lacking any charisma whatsoever, because they had indulged his ego that much, he decided, I like this kid. We'll have him in the movie instead of that Hardy kid. This one's going places. That Hardy one, no one will ever hear about him again. And that's how he wound up with Rocket Man. Although, you know, Fair dues to Taron Egerton. He's boss. I got a lot of time for Taron Egerton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but he is. It, it is. Uh, you know, that is a who you know casting. That that was a that's a casting your mate kind of thing. But it worked yeah. out in that case. And I would argue Rocket Man is an example. A very. I, I agree with you generally. It's better when they're dead. But Rocket Man is the exception to that rule. I think where Elton John and I haven't seen on. it. Oh, you'd I love it. I know. I, yeah. I know. I, I just can't bring myself to watch it because he's still alive. I just feel that they have more feeling and rawness to them if it's done because they're not around anymore, you know? And I guess that's just personal opinion, isn't it? It is, it is. And you know what? Tell you who's not around anymore either is Gene Wilder, who played Willy Wonka. And believe uh... me, I felt, I felt that this week because I know we're going to talk about Wonka in a minute. So, yes. Uh, Bob Marley got that to come as well. So, what we got? We got, we got uh, an Oceans prequel. We got, we got A24 are going to streaming now. And, and a Bob Marley by it. Oh, of course, George Michael one as well. I forgot. I mean, is that, I think that Madonna one got scrapped, I think. I think they were doing the Madonna one, then scrapped it because she was going to direct it. Madonna was going to direct wow. her own biopic because, you know, queen ego. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm waiting for the Britney one. Call, wake me up when the Britney one arrives. I'm sure it won't be long, but um, we, we are going to talk about Wonka in a minute, actually, because you've seen it. We'll see what you think of that. Uh, we've got the peasants to talk about and the inseparables as well. So three brand new movies. We'll see what Van thought of them in a second. Stay where you are. Hello and welcome back to the show. Uh, let's crack straight on then with our first new movie of the week after our little movie gossip catch up. Uh, and that is Wonka, which everybody is talking about. You've got guests all over chat shows at the moment, massive publicity. The point is, is it worth the publicity? Is it worth? Yes, actually, it is. And I know I am in a minority of film critics on this one, it seems. Although I want to point out, it bears an uncanny resemblance to another movie in which I was also 
in the minority of film critics, and that one turned out to be pretty damn popular. So I'm willing to bet this will as well. Um, I'll get to that in a moment. So, prequel slash origin story for Willy Wonka. This serves effectively as a prequel to both the book and the original Gene Wilder adaptation of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, depending on which version. Because I think the movie is the movie was called Willy Wonka and the book was called Charlie and. And then Tim Burton's version was also Charlie and. This goes out of its way to contradict the Tim Burton version. It's worth noting. So that did not happen. If the only version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory you know was made by Tim Burton, first of all, you need to speak to a therapist. Secondly, you need to read more. Thirdly, just enhance your life and forget it ever happened. And just, just watch the Gene Wilder version. So, Timothy Chalamet, you know, manic pixie dream boy of Lady Bird and Dune fame, is our Willy Wonka this time. So he's Willy Wonka about 20, early 20s, I'd say. This is him making his way to Paris in a sort of a, a nondescript period setting. It seems to be like late 19th century. So I don't know how old they think Gene Wilder is or or when uh, when any of this is set, but who cares anyway? Goes to Paris to make his name as a chocolatier. And of course, we know he's going to become you know, the world's greatest chocolatier. This is the story of how he became that chocolatier, how he met the Oompa Loompas, how that factory started, how it all came to be. And of course, no sooner has he arrived in Paris to make his name, he finds himself with not one arch nemesis, but three in a cadre that basically form what's called like a, a chocolatier's cartel that's made up of three rival, you know, chocolate, uh, you, know, uh, empresar- uh, you know, empresarios, uh, led by uh, Slugworth, played here by uh, Patterson Joseph from Peep Show. You know, Johnson from Peep Show. Um, yes. We remember Slugworth from uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because he's the one that's trying to get the kids to steal the everlasting gobstoppers for him. This is him in an earlier yeah. form. And this sort of serves as a, a ramp up as to why he's so gung-ho in that movie. You also get, uh, oh, God, who's the guy from Horrible... One of the guys from Horrible Histories, whose name I forget, I'll look it up in a second, and uh, Matt Lucas as the other one. They are the three evil chocolatiers who are in league with a, a, a bevy of corrupt officials like Rowan Atkinson as the local priest, Keegan-Michael Key as the local policeman, Olivia Coleman as the corrupt owner of the local wash house... And this is, and these are all the forces aligned against Willy Wonka to stop him becoming, as I say, the world's greatest chocolatier. Have a listen. This is him meeting his very first Oompa Loompa, who he has trapped in a glass jar, and he's voiced by someone I think you're going to recognise very, very quickly. Now let me out of here. You have absolutely no right to go around and bottling innocent strangers. Innocent? Hold on. You've been stealing from me for years. Well, you've started it. Me? You stole our cocoa beans. What are you talking about? Do you mean that you don't even remember? Remember what? The day you destroyed my life. <laughs> no, I don't remember that. Well then, young man, allow me to refresh your memory in the form of a song so ruinously catchy that it may never leave your mind. Oh, I don't think I want to hear that. Too late. I've started dancing now. Once we've started, we can't stop, Tim. Is it Hugh Grant? It is indeed Hugh Grant. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> but as you can as you can hear from the clip, like he's he's really in on the gag on this one. He knows what he's doing. Like he's been computer animator. They literally mapped his face onto a digital body, and it really works. So he's like I say, he's lofty. He's called lofty because he's unusually tall for an umpa lumpa, and. 
bags of fun. He steals the film. It's between him and Olivia Coleman. Like the pair of them are competing yeah. for who can steal the film. And to be fair, you know, they, kind of, they fit the aesthetic of this film, which is effectively Greatest Showman meets Paddington. It's those two things mashed and twined together. So basically, Greatest Showman energy and that kind of a musical, because it is a musical, uh, but with the aesthetic and the vibe of Paddington, because it comes from Paddington director Paul King. It's also got, seemingly, most of the cast of Peep Show, except for the central duo in it. Even Big Suze turns up in this, which makes me endlessly happy, because, oh, Big Suze. Love it. I really like um, Simon Farnaby, who's in this, because I... Yeah. Have you seen The Metal Detectorist, the series on Netflix? It's absolutely brilliant. And he plays a fantastic character in that. I highly recommend you watch that if, if you um, if, if you like him. I, I had not. But no, I, I shall absolutely check that out. So all star cast. I'm going to I'm going to read these off here. Right. OK, so th- this is who's starring in this. I've mentioned okay. I've mentioned Chalamet, Coleman, Grant. You've got Sally Hawkins in there as well. Of course, she was the mum in Paddington. Paston Joseph, I've mentioned. Simon Farnaby is in there. I think he's the. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember. He's. Train, I can't know. Security guard, I think. Uh, Sophie Winkleman, Big Suze, of course, is in there. Jim Carter, uh, Tom Tom Davis. I mean, Tom Davis is becoming like one of the biggest, known for every panel show going at the moment. Absolutely owns this as well, and uh, absolutely brilliant. I, I genuinely loved this movie, and it's interesting to me because it's it's six years. I think next week. I think six years next week since I sat in a screening room at what was then 20th Century Fox at uh, Century House in Soho Square, in a press show for The Greatest Showman, and I remember coming out of The Greatest Showman, talking amongst the other critics. There were two of us that enjoyed it. Wow, two two, two of us, and we went away. We did our reviews. Two of us gave positive ones. The rest gave very, very sniffy ones. We then went away for Christmas. The movie had a pretty quiet first week. But then, over Christmas, families started going to the pictures. And it became a word-of-mouth smash. And, of course, Greatest Showman now is a hugely beloved classic. Like, it's a modern classic. The great People go nuts for The Greatest Showman. Yeah. I mean, it's a movie that I watch it all the time. It's always on telly, and it's always a good time. It's got its issues, but it's a really good, emotional, powerful movie. And Hugh Jackman was born to play that role. But in the same way that they were wrong about The Greatest Showman, and audiences basically proved that to them very quickly, that is going to happen here as well. Because this has got absolute four-quadrant appeal. It is absolutely for all ages, it will work for literally the oldest grandparents you could find and the youngest children and everyone in between. You could take your parents and Albert to see this and all of you will have a blast. Absolutely all of you. Oh, the songs good. are great. And that's a big thing for me. If the songs are naff, as Wish recently proved, the Disney movie Wish, if the songs are naff, yeah. that's not going to help you in a musical. This, the song's great. I really love the songs in this. This is one where I actually will have the Spotify playlist going on this over Christmas. I can absolutely see it now. Because there's, there's little ones that become your favourites. It's a, a really hopeful, optimistic, meaningful film. Uh, there's a great quote in there as well about, you know, every great thing in the world started out as somebody's dream. And you're like, oh, I like that. That's, a, that's a oh, really nice. I love oh, that. Yeah. Way to play to that Paddington beat on that one. Yeah. And I think someone did point out. Someone did point out to me. I think, this basically is a Paddington movie, but they've just put you know a human in instead of Paddington. I'm like, yeah, actually, that kind of works. And Chalamet, who I don't actually like as an actor, even though he does have an annoying habit of like winning me over, 
I, I kind of begrudgingly like him at best, does work here. It does actually work. He's in on the madcap energy. Even though you do get a distinct sense, given his age, he presumably will have grown up with the, uh, the, the Johnny Depp version. I think he has mentioned that in an interview, that when he was a kid, he, 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 he was obsessed with the Johnny Depp version. He has quite clearly gone for the Gene Wilder version in terms of playing this, though. Which is which is good. It's, right. it's a good idea. Don't, don't go for the last version. Go for the best version. You know, it's like actors yeah. do this when they play Doctor Who. Sorry, go on. Gene Wilder, mm. and you, you are probably aware of this, but Gene Wilder in the original actually improvised so much of the part that he played, including the the walking the in ball. and the roly-poly yeah. at the start. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I was amazed. And that is like one of the most iconic bits of... Uh, 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 you know that that movie yeah. is a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. One of the most iconic things is that entrance. Even Family Guy has lampooned that to death. Uh, but like I say, this is just bags of fun. It's really moving. It's really engaging. It's fu- I say it, it's funny. It's actually genuinely funny. And um, I, I loved it. I came away and thought I, I expected this. We all we all expected it to be rubbish. We were at the premiere for this, and we were all going in just thinking this is going to be a crap night. And we all loved it. We just all, like, toe-to-toe, all had a great time. Some people had, like, little issues thing with things here and there. I mean, you can nitpick it, but to be honest, it's so charming in that Paddington-y kind of way that you go with it, mm. that you can't really complain about it. You can dismiss a lot just based on how likeable and endearing it very quickly emerges it is. But, like I say, go and see it for Hugh Grant as Lofty the Umpa so worth it just for Hugh Grant but <laughs> Olivia Colman's I mean it is one of those everyone's going to have a favourite member of this cast but for me Hugh Grant every time well if you want to go and see it the good news is it is out in cinemas from today I'm I'm reckoning that's going to be the big movie over Christmas oh, but you know what do I know yeah All right. gonna be well, uh, we're back in a moment Uh, (laughs) no not going by the first one um so we are back in a moment we'll look at the peasants to see what van thought of that and we've still got the inseparables to talk about as well we'll see you in a sec and now it's time for a segment we like to call offscreen pays the bills hey adam hey van so what's going on ain't nothing going on but the rent you know how it is and so it's a big thanks to our sponsors this week at Unfold. How many things are you doing right now? I mean, listening to this podcast, that's one. Are you also driving, cooking, working out, scrolling social media? And what's on your mind? All those unanswered texts, that looming deadline, that, that worry about that issue that won't go away. You've got a lot going on in this crazy world. We all do. And we're losing touch with our natural ability for deep, healing rest. That means most of us are living with a dysregulated nervous system that keeps us on edge during the day, wide awake at night, and snapping at the people we love most. But here's the thing you have the power to shift your body from fight or flight to rest and digest and christina bonnea caster a stanford educated integral coach wants to teach you how for free she's offering a no-cost 30-minute coaching session to 50 of 90,000 listeners for the holidays You'll log out of Zoom feeling deeply relaxed and equipped with two proven techniques for finding calm in any chaos. Buddhist teacher Lama Penadrapa describes Christina as one of the most caring and insightful people he's ever encountered. And a past client said, For me, every session with Christina has meant real, long-lasting transformation. So if you're tired of being held hostage by your own nervous system, grab your free session at christinabonet.com. The link will be in the show notes before it goes back to its normal price of €65. You're just 30 minutes away from finding flow in your body, mind and life. Now, back to the show. (laughs) 
Hello and welcome back to the show. Um, okay, so we've still got two brand new movies to talk about. They are both out in cinemas from today. So let's roll on to The Peasants. So this looks to me like quite a, quite a deep movie, actually, from the synopsis. Do you remember a film called Loving Vincent? I think it was 2016, 2017, a film called Loving Vincent. It was about Vincent van Gogh. Did you, did you ever, I, I don't think we worked together back then, actually. It was a movie. No, I don't think we did, and I didn't watch it. What happened with that? It's a Polish-made film. It was made by a husband and wife team. So, uh, British husband, Polish wife, Polish-made film, and they had basically filmed this movie in live action about the final days of Vincent van Gogh. And what they had then done was handed the film over to a bunch of like portrait artists, schooled in the style of van Gogh, and they had taken every individual frame. So 30 frames a second of this entire film and painted them, painted over the actors and then gave it to a bunch of animators to composite them all together and make a movie that literally looked like a Van Gogh painting, but that moved. And it was incredible. We now have a follow-up to that that's playing the same exact trick. It's from the same husband and wife team. So it's uh, DK Welshman and uh, Hugh Welshman. I think she's taken the name Welshman now. She wasn't uh, back then. Um, this is based on uh, Vladislav Raymond's novel of the same name. So it's The Peasants in English. I think it's Shopley in, in, its, in its native tongue. It's divided into four acts, and the acts are, uh, are the different seasons, you know, spring, summer, autumn, winter. And it follows a young woman in this small village as she, uh, as she basically just falls in love uh, with the man that she's not allowed to be with under the circumstances, because those were the times. I say, she old and touch. What century was this, actually? It's the turn of the 20th 19th. century. Yeah, turn of the 20th, so late 19th, early 20th. And uh, it, you say, it follows her journey as she carries on this illustrious affair with the man that she's deeply in love with that has to deal with being shunned by the town in the meanwhile and all the local prejudices and everything that come with it. And I say, it's been done in that same distinct style. It's, I think it's 100 artists worked on this, and I think it took 200,000 hours to animate this. Ooh. took 100 artists wow. 200,000 hours to do this. So that's basically 2,000 hours an artist. Yeah. Uh, it looks incredible. Obviously, it's, it's, it's in Polish, so we, we can't play a clip, obviously. Um but it looks exactly as beautiful as, uh, as as Loving Vincent did in that same way. It doesn't go for the same artistic style uh, for this. It's gone for, uh, I think it's a bit more of an abstract style. It's a combination of other styles. It's its, it's, its own unique cocktail of different paintings. Apparently the works of Szymonski, uh, Ruziak, and... Oh, I don't know that one. Klamonski, uh, Ruziak, and Zlokowski. I think are in this. It's their works that are the most referenced in there. I am not a fine arts guy, as you know. I studied film at uni, but uh, that, that was Barry Norman's shtick. He was the he was the film critic of a fine arts degree, not me. Um, <laughs> but absolutely fantastic film. I didn't know a lot about this going. I just knew Polish movie called The Peasants. I thought, oh great, this is going to be a barrel of laughs, isn't it? Turned it on. Went, uh, this looks exactly like. Take out iPad. It is okay. Right, that all makes sense now. Really captivating, and what I really love about it is, even through the the painted, uh, you know, veneer that's over the top of it, there is an incredibly rich cinematography to this. The production design of this is absolutely stellar. When a character, there is a moment in which a character steps in water, for instance, and, and picks up a goose, 
and it's just absolutely breathtaking animation. Gorgeous to look like nothing. I mean, say I say it's like nothing else you've ever seen. It's like Loving Vincent, but other than Loving Vincent, it's like nothing else you've ever seen. Uh, absolutely captivating stuff. Not a crowd pleaser by any stretch of the imagination. You're not going to go and see this Saturday night because Wonka's sold out and still be happy, kind of a thing. But I think this, there's an audience for this, and I, if you are someone that did like uh, Loving Vincent absolutely check this out and if you haven't seen Loving Vincent which obviously I know you haven't now I would recommend checking that out so it's, that's quite an endeavour that one and also just the absolute craftsmanship on display is second to none I mean I've seen attempts at this over the years most of things like A Scanner Darkly the, the Philip K. Dick adaptation with uh, Keanu Reeves and Downey Jr. where they had tried rotoscoping actors on that for instance and that was that was quite an interesting good looking film back in 2006 this is next level, however, and absolutely jaw-dropping stuff. Go and check this out. So it's called uh, it's called the Peasants Shopley in its its mother tongue. But if this is their sophomore effort, I can't wait for the third one. If it's, like it's taken five six years uh, to, to belt this one out, obviously they needed two hundred thousand hours, as we know, kind of like a Pixar movie. That <laughs> yeah. Way. yeah. So you know, don't don't rush them by any means. Pull an Ardman. Just release them when you're ready. And uh, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait for film three. If this is the standard they're going for, I, I, what the hell is film three going to be like? I, I can't even imagine. This is, like I say, absolutely wonderfully unique, with the exception of loving Vincent, obviously. <laughs> well, I mean, I've seen some of the stills, and and it does kind of remind me of kind of some of the Instagram filters that you'd get. Yes, kind of get laid over yeah. real photos. Yeah, that would have saved them a lot of hours. What? Why did they bother? Well, I mean, in this day and age, you just get AI to do it all for you, wouldn't you? <laughs> just save five years. Well. <laughs> if you want to watch it the peasants is in cinemas from today okay we've got one more left to talk about today and then we'll look ahead to next week uh, the inseparables we shall see what that's all about in just a second Hello and welcome back to Off Screen with our last movie to look at then this time round. So, The Inseparables, an animated movie, um, and by the looks of your face, Van, you're not too impressed. <laughs> well, you know how we usually like to say the words last, but certainly by no means least? We, we, we don't get to say that in this case, which is a bit annoying, if I'm honest, because <laughs> it very much is the least <laughs> of this week's films. So The Inseparables is a new movie from Belgian animation studio N-Wave. And I know this because they've titled the movie on its closing title card. They actually call it N-Wave's The Inseparables, as if they're bloody Marvel Studios. Believe me, they are. So this is the story of a marionette. <laughs> Puppet. It's an anima- CG animated movie about a marionette puppet, you know, like a Thunderbird style puppet, who's, you know, an actor in a marionette theatre troupe. The, uh, the, the, the old man who runs this, this fledgling theatre, having recently retired. So who's running the theatre that they're still working in and rehearsing in is never actually explained, but that's one probably my least, my, my slightest issue with the movie compared to everything else. Um, one day, uh, two folks come along, steal all the other puppets, try to nick them to go and sell them on eBay, and the one remaining uh, marionette, who's our lead... Uh, what's his name? I don't even know his name now. Oh, Al- is it Alfonso? I think it might be Alfonso. Um, well, that speaks volumes. Yeah, exactly. I can't remember his... I, I, I watched this today. 
and I can't remember his name. The ca- main character today. That's how forgettable this is. Right. See, he's, uh, so he, he's, a, he's, an aspi- he's an aspiring lead action hero in this theatre troupe, but he keeps getting cast as the comic relief. And his whole character arc is, but I am a hero deep down, give me the chance. And they won't let him. So when he's thrust into a hero-like position, he finds himself going on a journey across New York's Central Park, where he teams up with an abandoned stuffed toy who happens to be... <laughs> I swear I'm not making this up. <laughs> Who happens to be a rapping speaking toy named DJ Doggy Dog. And the pair go on an adventure to try and rescue. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> go on an adventure to try and rescue the rest of the theatre troupe. Here, here's a clip of them having to rescue some I think like raccoons that are stranded on, the, on, on, on a rain puddle. Have a listen. A good thing we got under here in time. Imagine being stuck out there in this. It was just a small shower. A small shower? More like a deluge, if you ask me. Help! <laughs> Why are you smiling? We've got to save the baby raccoons, DJ. Everyone loves baby raccoons. I can't go rescue them because I can't get wet. Come now. I need a first mate. Hey, hey, I, I didn't volunteer. Do you even have a plan? Of course. The plan is to improvise. That's not a plan. Hoist the main tail. Onward! So, <laughs> is there anything that's good about this movie, Van? Be honest. Um, <laughs> I will say this movie made me come away and want to revisit Fight Club. Um, not for the reasons you'd think. Right. <laughs> not, not, not just because I really wanted to hit someone and I needed catharsis. Um, no, um, it's because it has this very weird, uh, very weird thing of using the song Where Is My Mind by the Pixies, but this particularly god-awful cover of, of where... And believe me, I've heard every cover of Where Is My Mind going. Um, the, the, the Storm Large version from... from, uh, from oh, God, the, the Iraq attack movie. Big Ass Spider. Big, the movie Big Ass Spider. The Storm Large version that opens the movie Big Ass Spider is light years ahead of this version. Also, that movie is infinitely better than this one. And I say that the director and I con- get, have a back and forth going on Twitter for about the last 10 years. So I, I'm, I'm not just sucking up to a friend there, just full disclosure. Um, the other thing I'll say in its defense, the animation is actually weirdly good. Like, it's actually really well animated. It's a terrible movie. It's a really dull, unfunny, uninteresting, unengaging movie. But it's really well animated. And it's a combination of styles as well. There is traditional three-dimensional CG-rendered imagery. You know, Toy Story style. Uh, Pixar style, for lack of a better term. Yeah. But they also combine it with a really great sense of cel-shaded 2D animation that is then incorporated. And I know Disney, again, to invoke Wish for the second time this week, Disney did try this to an extent with Wish recently, and they did not fare half as well as N-Wave did, strangely. This does actually come from two of the four writers of Toy Story, and they're not the two good ones. It has to be said, not the two good ones. <laughs> And I am saying that with the caveat that this is inadvertently me having to refer to Joss Whedon as one of the good ones. Not a thing Joss Whedon has been called in a long, long time for obvious Me Too, Time's Up-related reasons. Um, I say that as someone who grew up 
worshipping Joss Whedon. I still have his name badge in my bedroom. So from from the, the Avengers press conference that we did a few years ago. I still have his plaque from his desk in my bedroom. No joke. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Whedon escaped better on this one somehow. This is absolutely dreadful. This is... Ooh, one of the worst movies I've seen this year. Hands down. What was that god-awful superhero one with the the Lion Man that we talked about like a month ago? Do you remember that really bad one? The superhero of like Super Lion oh, or something. Yeah. It was what was terrible. It I can't even remember now. I had forgettable. But this actually somehow is more forgettable to the extent where in the space of a day, I've forgotten it. I mean, I, I finished watching this three hours ago. And I can't tell you the main character's name of, wow. eight, of an 88-minute movie. Couldn't tell you. But I will would say... A, would a young child enjoy it, though, if you were to step away from it and just kind of take take away your knowledge of how no. movies are made and how they should be? And it was just a, you know, a 10-year-old kid. No, even they would find it boring. If I showed this to my five-year-old nephew, or you showed this to Albert, I guarantee they would start twiddling their thumbs and then looking for the nearest toy to play with. Or they'd ask for your phone. I guarantee it. Because it's so uninvolving that I just don't think it would I just don't think it holds attention at all. It feels it's really sluggish. Narratively, it's a very stilted movie. And and that's before you get to DJ Doggy Dog, who might be one of the most annoying characters I've encountered in a movie. I mean, it's telling that I can remember his name and not the leads. Because he was that annoying, to be frank. And also. His rapping is terrible. No, I'm sorry. Will Smith was a better... Richard Blackwood was a better rapper than DJ Doggy Dog. And I... Do you, do you remember Richard Blackwood <laughs> trying to rap? Do you remember a pre-EastEnders yeah. post-Channel yeah. 4 Richard Blackwood trying to rap? Remember how terrible that was? This is worse. <sighs> Guarantee you, this is worse. Mm. Come back. Come back, Rich. All is forgiven. <laughs> I just love the name, DJ Doggy Dog. <laughs> it just cracks me up. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you got a laugh out of it, at least. I mean, I, I was just sat there watching this thinking, somewhere in the world, Snoop has just ground his own teeth down to nubs, just knowing that this exists. I, I, I kind of hope he did. I, I hope, I, you know, I hope Snoop, somewhere in the world, was shown this movie and just smoked the baddest one that he could get his hands on because I think he deserves it after having his name sullied to the extent that this movie does I mean people rag on Snoop for his new <sighs> sketches line, I don't, I think they're very good actually, but I particularly want the white ones, but no this is the worst thing anyone has ever invoked in the name of Snoop and, and it's not even officially sanctioned no, avoid the inseparables like the plague, if anything separate yourself from it as much as possible Avoid it like the plague. Well, you know what you've done here? You've made me want to watch it so that I can see how bad it is now. You wouldn't last. You wouldn't last. I guarantee you wouldn't last through it. All right, well, there's a challenge. (laughs) If ever I've heard one. Um, Well, if you do want to uh, make it a challenge and see if you can go and see The Inseparables and see it from start to finish, uh, what is it, an hour and a half? I mean, it's not a long movie either, and you still lost lost concentration, so it's got to be bad. I kept checking the runtime. Honestly, for about the last half hour, please tell me this is almost over, please. And no, no, it just kept going. It just wouldn't end. Well, it is in cinemas from today, if you well, want to go and see how Let, let me, let me really put it is. this way. They keep invoking that it's from the writers of Toy Story. Right. 
Using the name of this movie in the same sentence as Toy Story is like comparing Greta Thunberg to Jimmy Savile. That, that's about... Yeah, that's my final word on it. Yeah, that's the difference between this and Toy Story. Yeah, it's, it's Jimmy Savile and Greta Thunberg. Well, you can... You can make your own mind up and go and see it from today. Um, right, let's talk quickly about next week. Um, we, uh, we've we got uh, a we've few got movies Godzilla. to talk about. Which we've ones got Godzilla we, uh, back. We talk about this? Godzilla minus one. What does that yes, mean? This is a full-blown reboot of Godzilla, but this is a Japanese-made reboot of Godzilla. It's taking this back to post-World War II Japan. And apparently is incredible. I haven't watched this yet. Now, my friend Calvin saw this. Uh, when I was watching Next Goal Wins, I was at the Next Goal Wins premiere on Tuesday night. I had the choice between that and Godzilla. And I figured I'm not going to get that many chances to see Next Goal Wins, so I'll go to that. And uh, I, I, I will talk about Next Goal Wins with you next week. But Godzilla Minus One, according to my friend Calvin, who is a Godzilla fanatic, admittedly, is absolutely wonderful and actually reduced him to tears. And he's not alone in that. This thing is getting rave reviews, like absolutely universally glowing reviews for a Japanese Godzilla movie in 2023. So, interesting one to watch, that one. Uh, We've also got, next week, and I'm very happy about this one, a new, and I can't believe I'm saying this, in this decade... I feel like I should be 30 years in the past when I say this. We've got a new rom-com starring Meg Ryan next week called What Happens Later, starring and directed by Meg Ryan alongside my boy, my tween-age hero, Mr. David Duchovny, ladies and gentlemen. Mulder himself is the lead in a Meg Ryan rom-com. Wow. Uh, we've also got Everybody next week, which is uh, a new documentary about uh, about gender. Really, it's about uh, you know gender conformity and and tra- I think about trans culture as well. Uh, we've got the second part of the Three Musketeers movie that started last year with Three Musketeers D'Artagnan. We've got Three Musketeers Milady yeah. next week, and last but certainly by no means least, because we've got to give the incels something to watch over Christmas. Zack Snyder's got a new movie out, ladies and gentlemen, Rebel Moon Part One. A Child of Fire is next week, and this is the movie that started life as a Star Wars movie. And then he was told, we're not going to give you a Star Wars movie. We saw what you did with the Justice League. Hell no. So he said, fine, I'll make my own Star Wars movie. The Blackjack, Nookers. And that's how Netflix are now getting Rebel Moon. So look forward to that next week as well. Well, yeah, some really good ones there to uh, to talk about next week. Um, well, that's all we've got time for this week on Off Screen. We shall return next week. Until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor. And we'll be back. <laughs> 